Let's just get right down to business. The Joe Roberts Show. This, this is The Joe Roberts Show. The Joe Roberts Show. The Joe Roberts Show. On today's show, we have Marcel, who is the business development manager of Polycrypt, formerly known as Perun, and Hendrik, the CEO of Polycrypt. We're going to discuss details about the project, funding, the team, along with any plans they have on the roadmap. Perun is an off-chain framework that supports real-time payments, as well as complex business logic and supercharges any existing blockchain. Guys, welcome to the show today. Thanks for having us, Joe. It's great to be here. All right. For those that haven't heard of Polycrypt, you know, why doesn't someone start us off with at the basics? What does Polycrypt do? Sure. So Polycrypt is a software company based in, in Darmstadt, Germany with IT security and cryptography as its DNA. We're kind of trying to bring insights from the cutting edge research that we do and transform it into yeah, new use cases and, and products that weren't really possible before. And currently, our main focus is uh, on developing blockchain infrastructure technology for various blockchain ecosystems. Awesome. So what is, I guess, kind of like the start of Polycrypt? How did it start and what led up to the initial problems that you guys were trying to solve? Yeah, so the roots of Polycrypt actually started at the Technical University of Darmstadt, also in Germany and the University of Warsaw in Poland with like, you know, research papers on new protocols for a scaling solution for Ethereum. And there was actually some hype around this. Uh, it caught the attention of the Ethereum Foundation and also companies like Bosch, the German company, and um, still kind of under the umbrella of the university, we received funding from the German Ministry of Education Research and also from the Ethereum Foundation to implement the technology with the main aim kind of, of making it a bit more universal. So we didn't want to be tied to one ecosystem yeah, Ethereum, we wanted to be agnostic and kind of be able to plug in and plug out different blockchain adapters and also implement technologies like CBDCs that we might see in the future. We don't really know what they look like. <laughs> and we kind of wanted to be open to also adapt to that kind of technology. Yeah, is that agnostic uh, because we don't really know who the winner is or is that just the ability to be able to scale more infinitely? Yeah, the idea is kind of to have a generalized framework for state channels that any developer can use on different ecosystems and also, which is yeah more important now to kind of have an interoperability between these different ecosystems because we see, you know, more and more layer ones rolling into the sphere. And uh, yeah, we kind of want to be the connector between the different ecosystems as well. I guess, you know, how do you see the different layer ones playing out, right? It's kind of been a battle for the last four or five years, and it seems that continuously there's always new ones arriving at the scene, boasting new results, right? What do you think is kind of happening there? How do you see that play out? Well, I'd argue they, they come in waves and generations, right? I mean, in the first generation blockchain, I'd argue that mostly encompasses Bitcoin, you had like basically the thing and it was quite standard. It's quite standard in what it does. It does so extremely robustly, but um, it kind of led to the next generation of blockchain where you could actually with Ethereum and the ability to, to execute smart contracts. So you kind of added functionality here. And then everybody said, oh no, Ethereum is so slow and expensive. And then the next generation of blockchain came and you had a ton of them super fast, super highly functional blockchains, but then you kind of observed that everything got fragmented and uh, there was so many ecosystems 
what can you do with that, right? And I kind of expect that we we continued going that route. Like the next generation of blockchains will probably also add some features, but will have again their their struggles. We can see that they are getting more refined depending on which communities they want to serve, and that's actually something that we really enjoy to see because our solution and that's kind of like the question that led up to that comment was we want to see our software connecting all of these different ecosystems we don't expect any ecosystem to win we think lots of ecosystems have their rightful place where they are and they are hopefully most of them are here to stay and we kind of want to be able to connect them to achieve true decentrality to achieve true ecosystem independence Okay, and so uh, Perun Network, right? How does that fit in with Polycrypt? And maybe can you explain a little bit more for listeners what the difference is or how each are operating? So historically, the Perun protocols, and as I mentioned, this was kind of uh, the starting point from a research perspective. And uh, But in the meantime, we developed a different technology. Uh, so Perun was not the sole technology that, that we implemented. So we decided to rename the company to Polycrypt so that we have different kind of uh, technologies under one umbrella. So Perun is one of them, and we have another one, which is called Airstar. All right, so let's start with maybe that, right? Break down each one of those and kind of go from there, like Perun Network, and what is the goal there? Sure. Perun is, uh, as Hendrik already stated, it is a state channel uh, framework. That means that if you have any peer-to-peer application that you kind of want to execute on the blockchain, but you want to do that, a lot faster, a lot cheaper, and still trustlessly, then you kind of refer uh, or you, you, you go and use a channel framework. Now, Perun is currently unfolding a little bit in its functionality. We already stated we want to create interoperability between uh, different blockchains. I already stated that uh, it is used for low latency applications as well. We have a use case in gaming that is covering that. So not only is Perun one of our core products, but also it has its different subsets of application. Also, IoT is a big topic. As Hendrik already said, we are working with Bosch. We are seeing that a generalized state channel framework that works on different ecosystems on its own, but also cross-chain is something that you can you can apply for lots of things. And that's why we say we build infrastructure more than we build a one service, something like that. Got it. And so for those that are not technical, also listening, you know, when you say peer-to-peer channel framework, right, can you break down in some simple forms, what are some use cases there and maybe how that, uh, you know, works and applies? Sure. Like, let's take a very easy one that everyone can feel into. Let's let's say you, Joe, and I, we play uh, a game of chess. And for some reason, although we trust each other uh, making this podcast and everything, we don't trust that... uh, the other one doesn't cheat um, if we just text back and forth from some, I don't know, some uh, chess uh, moves. So um, also we don't want to play five to 50 bucks uh, with each transaction on Ethereum or something like that. So we kind of want to do that trustlessly, but we don't want to pay for that entirely, right? So what we can do is we open up a channel between each other and we send back and forth our moves. And then in the end, both of us check for validity. We both can check, did the other guy cheat? Did they do something that they didn't claim, uh, that they didn't say they do? And in the end, if we both agree with the final state of the chessboard, we both sign that, we collect these 
you and I are both pro chess players, I assume. So <laughs> kind of 2000 moves or something like that. I'm not sure if that's even a realistic number for chess. Um, we condense them, we aggregate them into one blockchain transaction, and we only had to pay the fee once. And that's like a very, very low level example for how can you use a channel with someone else on a blockchain. Got it. So all those transactions are occurring off chain. And then you're saying at the very end of the game, hypothetically, right? Both parties, the consensus that they agree on everything is correct. And then it batches the transaction. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you can, of course, think of like a lot more complicated use cases, but that's uh, essentially it. Yeah. So what if there's a disagreement? Yeah, that's, that's a great point. Um, <laughs> If there is a disagreement, you can always adjudicate. You do not agree with the state, so you roll back the entire thing, go back to the blockchain and say, okay, honestly, we're like, we agreed until here. Let's see how uh, the decentral network judges what we did and what we do. And then it gets kind of more expensive. But of course, you can always retry within the channel uh, in case of a disagreement. But if someone's actively trying to cheat you, that's probably not going to lead to something much different. And also going back to the chess example. So, for example, you are both playing a chess game, and uh, Joe sees, okay, I cannot win this, so I just uh, kind of leave or don't do anything. But you took the kind of last move, so you you have an advantage. Then Marcel can actually, without your interaction, kind of finish the game or at least do the next move, and then conclude the challenge and uh, you know win uh, whatever you agreed in the beginning on what you kind of wager for this game. Got it. Got it. You know, I think for most people that may not, let's call it be technical or understanding, it sounds great, but I think until you actually probably do it and get a better understanding, it's hard to kind of digest. It's true. I mean, um, that's, that's honestly like one of the main challenges that our team faces, like having this very, very generalized framework boiled down to the respective use cases that we want to uh, implement with people. Usually what we observe is developers get it really well. And if they want to work with that, that works perfectly fine. But boiling it down for uh, the average Joe, huh? um, that's, that's a kind of a challenge sometimes, yeah. Yeah, maybe we can bring in like one example of uh, what we're doing in the the gaming space. We have one ongoing collaboration with the Web3 Foundation and a company called Juna. There we develop kind of the next generation of blockchain infrastructure for gaming. And there the problem is that usually game interactions, like you swing a sword, you don't necessarily want to wait for the blockchain, you know, uh, for like 10 seconds <laughs> until that move goes through. So there you can see like different layers of infrastructure kind of along together uh, achieve like this very low ultra latency interaction that you kind of want to achieve and for this channels are great other technologies not so much but uh, this is one example where kind of our technology shines and we kind of try to bring this into the technology stack so where developers can utilize this and in the end as a user you don't really notice it at all it just feels faster you know and more immersive got it and so at some point, it will feel faster, as you mentioned, versus where we're at today. Exactly. Yeah. So this is the goal because blockchain games right now are kind of limited in what you can do. So the next generation is kind of bringing in, for example, uh, the Unity framework and also like 3D applications where you can have PvP battles and have this ultra low latency where you don't necessarily have to have each and every step on chain. Got it. And so from a development standpoint and user standpoint, like and user experience, right? Like, where do you think from a time frame realistically will 
just onboard the next millions of users that don't understand everything underneath what's happening, but it's a better experience. Like, are we like three to five years out from a better user experience and more adoption occurring? Or what is the realistic time frame? that some people, I think sometimes, you know, when we're in the space, they like, you know, they may think it, things are going to happen tomorrow, but it's really not, you know, it's really, it's really five years, you know what I mean? And when you're building tech. So what are you guys seeing from your development standpoint, the future looks like there? Yeah, I believe like with projects that Hendrik just mentioned, with uh, we are working with Ayuna, they re are releasing their, I think they already at Gamescom presented their uh, Battlemox uh, game in an early version. With great applications like that and um, very productive partners like them, I believe like um, that there will be a lot of users very, very soon. At least I'd hope so. But of course, it, it kind of depends on general blockchain adoption as well, right? Because you don't need to massively scale something that is um, that is mostly containing, yeah, a few people who really know their way around, right? So um, that's a variable that that also kind of depends on on the general development of the space. We expect and well, we are preparing for massive adoption of our technology for uh, within the next. I'd argue 12 to 18 months. That's like, I'd argue our goals uh, to be ready to serve or whatever uh, will be there. That's our internal time frame, right? Well, I, you know, I'm in agreement there. I hope that the next 24, 36 months, obviously a lot occurs in the space. When it comes to payments, right? I think that's a big feature here. Uh, you know, and you mentioned the peer-to-peer -peer aspect channel framework. How can this apply to payments and make that cheaper or faster? Sure. I mean, the chess example was good and fine, right? But let's assume you're a company, you don't want to necessarily want to play chess. Let's say you want to do a lot of payments in a trustless fashion. You really want to use the blockchain technology as something that was kind of, yeah, sold as a lot of times as well, right? As a payment solution, as a payment settlement layer. Um, you can do that quite well with the Perum framework. Because yes, it's peer-to-peer, -peer, which actually only means two people or two parties involved, but the technology works also in a way um, that, for example, lots of you know Lightning Network, right? Um, you can have a channel between two parties, and then one of these parties has another channel to another in a, into another direction and so forth, leading to what we call a channel network, right? Or also called virtual channels. And that, of course, leads to, is predestined to be a payment solution for a lot of people that mostly works trustlessly. There are a few challenges still ahead in like, uh, let's say, let's say implementing this on a large scale, but those are not of technical nature, but more of a, more of a financial nature. So that is something that we really look forward. Or if you want to take like the more conservative direction in terms of payments, topics like streaming money um, in, for example, um, the, let's say electric vehicle charging, right? You charge a few um, kilowatts uh, every minute or so, and you kind of want to pay that live as you go and then plug off and drive away, like in, in the best case, automatically. That is something that requires a highly programmable framework that has a very low latency and it kind of has to work offline because your electric vehicle, especially when we are from Germany, that's a big problem here, it won't have a connection everywhere where you want to charge. Right. So that's um, that's another way that we um, can see the payment sector reimagined with Perun. All right. And so rolling into Polycrypt, right? You know, what other services are you guys doing? You mentioned Erdstall, right? Can you break that down for listeners? 
Yeah, sure. So uh, Agile is kind of uh, technology that's a bit different from channels because, you know, um, we uh, imagined in the beginning you could uh, scale Ethereum channels, but that didn't really happen. And there are some applications like marketplace type applications where uh, channels are not really applicable. So this is uh, why we, we started Erdstall and we gave it a shot at uh, the ETH Global Hackathon. And uh, yeah, actually were one of the lucky winners uh, and kind of developed from there the technology. And our goal here is to kind of uh, yeah, build marketplace type applications for, you know, use cases like NFT marketplaces. And our goal there was to have an abstraction layer because, you know, not every company wants to have all this blockchain stack and don't really has uh, the experts rolling in to develop all of this uh, backend technology. So we wanted to make it easy for companies to build a marketplace application and integrate it into like you know their website where they can just say okay mint an nft and it happens uh, within Erdstall. and the main benefits of Erdstall are that you have zero gas fees within the ecosystem and that you can have for for companies kind of a private uh, type of uh, space you know where you, you can onboard users and do your interactions but then also have the opportunity to offboard to an actual blockchain so Ethereum mainnet uh, in that case, for example. So is this like a uh, plugin that someone could put in their WordPress website, kind of, you know, from a user, what do they have to do? Exactly, yeah. So it's a, it's a TypeScript SDK that you can call from, from your website, basically. Who are the potential clients that you guys are going to go after there? What's the typical, is this like a small business, an enterprise, a US, global? <laughs> Currently, we are really looking for traditional or more traditional companies that really want to step like their toe into Web3 waters, right? Because that, that technology is optimal for that. It's kind of trustless, but it's also still very much like under the under the control of the company. Like users can audit that, but they know it's kind of like central. And our target group is currently um, on the one hand, as I said, companies that kind of want to get into blockchain. A great example for that would be publishers. Like they are really, they have their communities. They are experts in their fields. They have special content and um, special things they can give access to in the forms of NFTs, but also in other ways. And uh, they kind of need to get into new sectors. They want to get the next generation as well uh, as their clients. But they are kind of like still around their physical magazines and everything. Like this is a this is a target group where we where we feel the topic is very, very interesting. But that also goes like for, for gaming publishers that want their game content uh, to be on Web3 as well. But um, of course, we are also working with Web3 startups that kind of have that cool NFT marketplace-ish idea, but they don't have like the 15 tech guys who can really <laughs> implement it or build it from scratch, right? So those are our two main, yeah, focus client groups. So, I mean, I'm sure most of us listening here, we, we, we hear NFT like buzzword everywhere we go, right? And everyone's creating some type of framework, right? So maybe like Erdstall, like what's a differentiator with you guys or what you guys are also trying to accomplish with that product that maybe other people are not doing yet? Yeah, that's a fantastic question because like, honestly, we are not originally from like the NFT wave or anything. That's something that was rather a topic that we kind of picked up. First off, Agile is not NFT specific like at all. Like you don't need to handle NFTs to make use of Agile. It works with fungibles as well. But also what Agile might add to that is within Agile, but also outside of it, but currently like 
it's more realistic to say it's currently within Erdstahl. You can have something like confidential NFTs. It's an NFT that is not accessible by everyone. You cannot right-click and save as with a confidential NFT because you'd only get, if at all, a low-resolution version of whatever there is. That is one thing that we really that really strikes us as unique as NFTs reinterpreted and re reimagined. And the second thing is um, uh, the second special thing about Erdstahl is it's not just yet like your your average NFT marketplace or general marketplace infrastructure, but it kind of has this mostly trustless element in it. And it is fail safe. It is developed by a company that was spun off an IT security and uh, cryptography chair at a German university that is quite well known. And that is something different, not so much for the user in terms of using, right? But as soon as something goes wrong with a very classical um, infrastructure that does not really care about trust, freedom, or uh, security, and that is something that we get as a feedback that is growing more and more important. We, we see it every day, right? There are hacks, there are exploits of NFT marketplaces, of bridges, Everything breaks currently, and um, that's something we kind of focus uh, from minute one. And I think that's like three very, very special things that you don't find anywhere else. What do you guys think, uh, you know, from what your experience is and seeing in the market, do you think NFTs will actually play the biggest role in the future five years from now versus maybe what we see them as today? Yeah, I, I saw an article um, a few days ago where it says OpenSea kind of dropped 99% of, of traffic or something like that. <laughs> I think there are use cases, you know, like uh, where in the beginning of the NFT space, uh, like art and so on, it was very hyped and lots of traffic was going on. But like Marcel mentioned, I think there are other use cases that emerge where you can see uh, like actual use for, for businesses, for example, where you have a confidentiality aspect. You maybe have access control uh, or something like that so I, I foresee that these types of use cases where you can where businesses can actually see a real value there will be like new adoption for for this kind of technology but i think just for art and, and what we have seen so far it might not be you know as big as it has been yeah meaning that basically the future needs to show have a lot more utility behind it than just a jpeg right i mean a topic like access control the right to do x y and z uh, is something that um, can be very well used along with, uh, with with that, right? You can use an NFT as a vehicle for some, uh, even some legal obligation. If you are creative enough and if you have the right legal framework within your area, there's actually a ton that you can do. And I think, like, as you said, that the JPEGs or the, let's even say the videos are not like the core of an NFT. And I think we are kind of maturing out of NFT equals cool image that I can collect. And we are going into an NFT representing a special uh, access right or a special right to go somewhere to, to obtain something as a device using use in uh, the metaverse. Like also like using it for DeFi is something great. Like use some NFT that has a value connected to it as a collateral that that alone can revolutionize how how we how we do many things, and I think there is something about NFT that the NFT that is quite useful, but we have not uh, entirely found the key so far. So, as you guys come across like uh, these different applications or things that you guys are working on, what are your top few killer applications that we might see in five years based on where this is going? 
Yeah, for me personally, I, I would like to see a more interoperable universe, you know, where you can go between different chains very easily without maybe even noticing, you know, kind of how Swift would work in the banking world that you send off like a transaction and in the background, send it automatically and it arrives on, on, on some different and and it's seamless, you don't even notice it. And also one application that I would like to see grow more is self-sovereign identity. We also foresee lots of different applications. Uh, and that's also one of the directions that we, we intend to go in the future to explore that space, kind of interconnected with Web3, kind of have uh, payments for, for different things and uh, interaction with SSI as an authentication layer. And um, this is also what I look forward to explore in the future at Polycrypt and also to kind of grow from there and uh, develop new use cases and exciting technologies. No, I agree with you on the identity. I think that's something that's very big for the space that hopefully uh, people come to a resolution in the next few years. For everybody listening to wrap up there, what is the best way for them to learn more about Polycrypt or get a hold of you guys? You can always join our Discord channel. We are super active in there. We are, I think that's a medium that is um, also very easily adoptable for most. You can always shoot us uh, very conventionally an email. I promise to read them all and to answer them all. And uh, of course, uh, check out um, our resources, right? Um, we have white papers on our respective homepages. You can find our uh, sub homepages at um, www.polycry.pt. So basically at Polycrypt. LinkedIn is also a great way to, to uh, get in touch with us uh, personally if you, if you really want to start a personal dialogue with one of us. I mean, if you try, you'll succeed in uh, contacting us and learning about us. We are very transparent about everything we do. We also have some uh, some Medium articles if you want to dive more into the technology. And if you're a developer, you can go to tutorial.perron.network or check out some demo on adstar.dev to kind of see how, how everything works and try it out and, and develop some application with that. Well, I appreciate you guys coming out today and sharing everything with us. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us, Joe. Joe Roberts Show.